welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. You're doing well. For those of you who don't know me and just are just like, what the heck? My name's Tony and it gets worse, I actually lead this church, so... So we're going to have fun tonight. We really, really are. Um, up here, you'll see uh, a slide that says upside down. We're doing something a little bit different. We've never carried a series over our morning service and our evening service. That's what we're doing with this series. Every message will be a standalone message, but they should build on one another. I can't do the uh, tonight justice to my introduction. And so what I would encourage every one of you to do is download the message this morning because that will set up every other message. The whole fact that um, we are not born with a culture, that we are born into a culture. I went into that this morning. We need to understand that in order to have a great foundation for everything that I want to say and everyone else who's going to be preaching on this series. Says is going to be preaching. Drew's going to be preaching. Jeff's going to be preaching. Pete's going to be preaching on this series about the upside down ways of God. Okay. And so God has a way of doing things and it's quite often different to the way you and I are used to. It's back to front, it's inside out, it's upside down. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. How many people do you know, and maybe you are one of those people, whereby you thought you had a great idea and as you went through that idea, you found out it was actually a dead end street. And it led to something that was destructive and harmful. That's what the Bible means when it says there is a way that seems right to us. But in the end, it leads to death. And it's because of this, this was the basis of all of Jesus' teaching to create a counterculture. Jesus addressed the culture in which he lived and said, basically, what you're doing, you're doing wrong. But the reason he said that was not to bring a hellfire and brimstone message. It was not just to point an accusing finger. It was acting to set some boundaries in place because he loves us so much. I mean, what parent wouldn't set boundaries in place for their kids if they didn't love them? I mean, is it love for you to say to your kids, hey kids, I love you so much, you can do whatever you want, play wherever you want, go on the busiest of roads and just have a ball, knock yourself out. That's not love. That's not controlling and manipulative. That, 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 that's, that's just common sense. And yet when God tries to bring common sense into our world, we get our back up and say, ah, oh, don't preach at me. Don't stop Bible bashing me. But this whole series, hopefully, will help unpackage the heart behind the teachings of Christ that sometimes don't seem to make sense to us. Sometimes when you listen to Christian teaching, it seems weird. It seems abnormal. I mean, the whole thought in year 2011 in the Western world to abstain from sex before marriage. I mean, come on, how old fashioned is that? That's the culture we live in. And yet if Jesus Christ was standing here today, he would say exactly the same thing. He would say, it's not sex before marriage, it's marriage before sex. It's back to front, it's the other way round. It's upside down, it's inside out. It's his way. And he has reasons behind 
why He asks us to do things and He has reasons behind why He asks us not to do things. People say, oh, that's, that's just not normal. Young man in the prime of his life having to abstain from sex and not sow his royal oats. It's not normal. Here's the problem with normal. Normal ain't working. That's the problem. And Jesus spoke into a culture that wasn't working. And the churches has to be a voice in today's generation to speak into a culture that's not working. If these things were working, we wouldn't see things like poverty and AIDS, depression, suicide, greed, anxiety, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, rape, murder, addictions of all kinds on the rise. I mean, let's be honest. Is pornography getting bigger or is it decreasing? It's getting bigger, it's increasing, it's enlarging. In actual fact, the pornographic industry is bigger than the entertainment industry and the music industry put together. It's incredible growth. Suicide is on the rise. All these things that we call normal are producing results in the end that lead to death and addiction and bondage. And we have to be a voice and speak with love and tenderness and clarity to bring some common sense into a world where common sense ain't that common. You got it? And so this morning, as part one of this series, I looked at the fact that Jesus taught that to be first, you gotta be last. I mean, who wants to be first? Cool, nothing wrong with that. But to get first, you've got to be last. Oh, what? That's how Jesus taught. And tonight, the title of my message is, you've got to serve to rule. And I want to read to you from Matthew 20, verse 20 and 24. In Matthew 20, you can follow on the screen or read in your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or your Bible, Dad, Dad's got his Bible, God bless him. Here. <laughs> or your Android, whatever, pop, just to cover all bases. Because someone said, what about us Android users? I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, for all you Android users out there, whatever you've got, use that, but just read the word. Amen, Amen Android user. <laughs> like, let us praise the Lord. Android, oh. Like, What? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But anyway, have you found Matthew 20? It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant me one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in the kingdom. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at the right or left is not mine to grant. These places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. I love this story. This story is about one well-meaning mother. 
Any well-meaning mums out there? Want the best for your boys? That's what this woman wanted. Just, wanted the, just looking out for her boys. It's about one well-meaning mother. It's about two highly ambitious boys. And it's about 10 really ticked off disciples. That's what this story is all about. They were really upset that they had the audacity to get their mother to ask Jesus that they might sit at the right hand and the left hand when they are in heaven. And quite possibly, they were not only ticked off, they were just a little bit annoyed because they never thought of it. Maybe, I don't know. Could be reading into it, I'm not sure. But the interesting thing about this story is that Jesus wasn't that upset. But he used this moment to teach them something about kingdom ways. And I believe that good leadership and good parenting and good befriending of others is using moments to teach into. And so instead of Jesus just getting indignant and upset and running around like a chip with its head cut off, like all the other disciples were doing, and, ah, Jesus, and just going on and on and on, Jesus calms them all down and he uses it to teach them. And so he looks at them and he says, ah, oh, so you want to be great. You want to be a ruler. You want to have an incredible position in heaven. He never rebukes them for desiring that. He never looks at Peter, James and John and says, oh, you selfish, ambitious, wicked boys. Go to your bedroom. He didn't say that. He does not rebuke them for wanting to be great. He does not rebuke them for wanting to have a position of rulership and greatness. Instead of rebuking them, he tells them exactly how they can be great and how they can rule. And this is what he says in Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them all together and said, you know that the rulers of those Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, however. Instead, whoever wants to become great, and I, yeah, yes. I imagine Peter, James and John, who spent so much time with Jesus, I look at him, he's probably going to use us as an example. I mean, just, go on, Jesus. I'm ready to be your prop. I'm ready to be your illustration. If you want to be great, you've got to be like Peter. Yes. And John and James rubbing their hands together. This is our moment. Jesus is going to tell all the other disciples that we've got a place in heaven at the right hand and the left hand. And one of them said, oh, I hope it's the right hand though. No, but whatever. So you want to be great? Yes, we want to be great. The other ten are still ticked off. We can't, can't believe it. Whoever wants to be great must, yeah, be, uh-huh, your, go on, servant. 
What? What? Peter's like, is that, is that a new name for me? What? I mean, Simon, he's called me Peter, he's called me Satan. Now maybe he's calling me servant. I don't know. He's like, what? And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Okay, Jesus, stop. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, maybe they thought Jesus is just been in the sun too long. But then Jesus uses himself as the example. Just like I did not come to be served. Jesus, you don't see me living in palaces. You've seen me serve you. That's why I'm here. If you want to be great, then you've got to serve. If you want to rule, if you want to reign. We used to sing songs like that back in the day, ruling and reigning with Jesus. And all of them said, well, hey, I want to rule and I want to reign. So they said, well, I want that. But we didn't know it was attached to serving. You want to rule? You want to, be, you want to reign? You want to lead? You want to be great? You want to be first? Yes, we do. That's fine. Then start serving. That's what Jesus is saying. And it flew in the face of the culture that he lived in and it flies in the face of the culture in which we live in. That's why this whole series is entitled Upside Down because it's something contrary to what we are used to hearing. You will not hear this on the television. You won't. You will not be applauded at the Olympic Games for trying your best. No one applauds you for trying your best in this world for the most part. I mean, let's face it, you can run your guts out, train for years, get a silver medal and you feel like an absolute loser, first place loser. That's the culture in which we live. This incredible, incredible pressure to perform all the time. And even if you do manage to get a gold medal, even if you do manage to win the premiership, you're only as good as your last game. Normal is not working. Struggling, striving to get ahead is not working. As I said this morning, I learnt an invaluable lesson. As I was in the airport recently, I'm one of those guys and I'm trying to get better at this. But I'm one of those guys that as soon as the little seatbelt light goes off, goes bing, my, my seatbelt's undone. And sometimes I try to click it really quietly before it goes off. I'm one of those guys, you're on, the, you're on the runway and it's just, I just feel like a major victory. And then the light goes out, bing, and I stand up. I'm one of those guys, stands up, gets my stand, and I, I, sit in the, I stand in the aisle, no one get past me. And then when we get to the airport, flying along, flying along, get to the carousel, get through customs, get to the carousel. Oh, I'm first. Coming home from South Africa this year. I mean, I was the first, literally the first to the carousel. I, I was celebrated. It was like a major victory. I'm like, oh, I'm 
That was awesome. Just doing a little bit of a dance, a bit of a jig. Man, first. My God, I just need my bags now. Come on. And that's where it all went south for me. Watch bag after bag after bag after bag that belonged to all the incredible, wonderful people that I passed. And there's one old lady, she's like this. I'm like, come on, get out of the way. She was like holding me up. I managed to get past her. <laughs> she hobbles over. Her bags, it grabs her bag, she's off. I'm still waiting. Are you kidding me? And you know what? At that moment, in my jet lag, I felt God speak to me. I felt like God trying to get my attention on this very thought. He who is first will often be last. And he or she who is last, silly young man, will often be first. And I remember having a God moment, an epiphany. With God, I just apologized and repented about the stupidity of my thinking. Saying, oh, forgive me. Okay, Lord, I get it. Trying to get my attention. God's not just going to get your attention in church. Or when a guy in a pink shirt is speaking. God wants to talk to you wherever you are. The problem with most Christians is they just switch off from God for the rest of the week, then play religious games on a Sunday. That's not Christianity. It's letting God speak to you in the busyness or the stillness of your everyday, ordinary lives. And I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, Lord, you got me. All right, I get it. Calm down, slow down. Your ways, not my ways. And as I'm just praying this prayer, thinking God thoughts instead of fast, quick, kill or be killed, old lady, get out the way. These two little bags come out. It's like, I I just, thank you, Lord. (laughs) The key to greatness, the key to ruling, the key to reigning is found in serving. You want a great life, do you? It's not a bad desire, then serve. If you want a great life, then serve. If you want a great marriage, who wants a great marriage? Okay, let me ask this. Who wants a really bad marriage? No, you don't. Who wants a really great marriage? We all do. Then serve. That's what the Bible says. When you get married, you don't, you don't mar- men, you don't marry a dishwasher. Or a clothes washer, or an ironer, or a lunch maker. That's not what you're marrying. You're marrying someone you love and that you've chosen to serve in sickness and in health for the rest of your days. And that's what will make a great marriage. You want a bad marriage? Just don't serve. Just say, get me, give me. You know, when it comes to physical intimacy, sorry for some of the young single guys here 
who's just going to have to wait. But those of us who are married, the general complaint for men is my wife doesn't give me enough physical intimacy. And yet when you push and prod and, and ask questions in and around the marriage, you find that the husband is more often than not doing nothing to serve and help his wife. And so I believe a great marriage, a great life, a great church is found in serving. And so my question to you is how great is your serve? How great are you at serving? Because the greater your serve, the greater you are at serving, the greater your life, your marriage, your ministry, your church will be. You want to rule, you want to reign, you want to be great, that's fantastic. But the answer is found on the other side of serving. Some characteristics of a great serve. Number one, a great serve is willing and able. My question to you tonight is how willing are you? Where there is willingness, obedience will never be a problem. Have you noticed that? When you're willing, when you find a willing person, someone who's just happy to do anything, Obedience is easy. But where someone is not willing, you'll never get them to do anything. And even if they do do something, they let you know about it forever. Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to do anything? My second question is, are you able? See, God is not asking us to do something we can't do. And for the most part, If you've got good leadership in the church, you will not be asked to do something you can't do. You might be asked to do something you might not want to do, but you will not be asked to do something you can't do. So you have to be both willing and able in order to serve. Some of you might say, oh, I'm willing to serve. I want to serve on the worship team. Give me a mic and I'll serve you all the days of my life. The trouble is they're not able to sing. I mean, if, if, if ability was nothing, I would be on the worship team. If, if, if ability, didn't, ability didn't come into it, I'd be on this worship team. I love singing. We have a house full of singers. My wife sings lots. I sing lots. Jordan sings lots. Mitchie sings lots. And BJ sings lots. We love to sing. I don't know how good any of us are. Hopefully there's hope for Mitch. This morning I was working away on my computer just studying and just prepping as I normally would on a Sunday morning and Jordan's just screaming at the top of her voice in the shower. La, 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 la. And I shout out, sing it, Jordy! And she goes, what? I said, sing it, Jordy! She goes, what? Oh, it doesn't matter, keep going as you were. You've got to be willing and you've got to be able. Are you willing and are you able when it comes to serving? A great serve is committed to following. A great serve is committed to following. In Psalm 23 verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, what we follow determines what follows us. David, who wrote that psalm, 
David was a little punk who took on a massive giant called Goliath. But he's also a great musician, he's a great singer, and he was a great songwriter. He was the bomb, he was the package, he was the it guy. And David said this, Ah, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I'm following goodness and I'm following mercy and I'm following God and I'm following someone who loves me so I have no problem about my future. What you are committed to following will determine how your life ends up. A great serve is committed to following. It can't all be about you. It can't all be about your desires and your will and your ways and your vision. If you want to be great, then serve another man's vision. If you want to be great, then serve somebody else. Follow somebody else. That's what Christianity is in its purest form. It's us following another man. It's us following another way. It's us following another thought process. It's us following another culture. It's us choosing God's way over the world's way. That's what Christianity is. And because we follow a good God, surely goodness will follow me. Because we follow a merciful God, surely mercy will follow me. And because he's an eternal God, surely these things will follow me all the days of my life and on into eternity. That was David's confidence. That's my confidence. That's the confidence of every Christian. Not because we're so great, but because we follow one who is great. We follow the greatest man that ever walked on the earth and his name is Jesus. He's so great that not even death could hold him down. Every other religious leader died sometime or another. You can go to their grave and you will find their corpse, but not so with Christ. Death could not hold him down. Three days dead, he rises up. And he goes to heaven in the perfect time and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. A great service committed to following. A great serve has an eye for value. Jesus told a great little parable, a little story to highlight this point. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he has. You know why the disciples could continue to serve Jesus and follow Jesus all their days? And many of the disciples died a horrific martyr's death. Why? Because they had an eye for value. They recognised there was something special, something unique about Jesus. And when they were facing their darkest day, they didn't make it about the darkest day. They made it about the pearl of great price. They made it about the precious one, Christ. When you serve, it's not always pleasant. There are going to be some things that you do for your wife and there's going to be some things that you do for your husband that aren't going to be pleasant. I tell you what, you want family? Most married couples I know want a family. I can't wait to have kids so cute and a little cunt. And the mums are wishing for a girl that they can dress it up like a little doll. And and, and the the, the guys are hoping for a son so they can take him to soccer or football and some sporting event. We've got all these plans. That's cool, nothing wrong with that. But when you have kids, you have to... Serve them. And some of the jobs you do for your kids, 
particularly in those early days, when they're just sitting there eating. And what you soon learn as a parent, whatever goes in has to come out. And part of loving your child is serving them and doing for them what they can't do for themselves. And so peg on the nose. You open the nappy. Oh my good! What possesses a man or woman to change poo? Not once, not twice, but sometimes three and four times a day. What possesses a person to do that? It's not the poo. Poo is not a good motivator. And some jobs that we have to do in order to sustain a relationship are very pooey and smelly and yucky and messy. And every parent can identify with this. When you, when you think you've cleaned your hands after washing them and you get some under the fingernail and you think you've done, and you'd be like, the, the hours later, you say, oh my gosh, what is that? Oh, what is that? Yet we go back, we wash our hands, get the scrubbing brush. And go back and do it all again because we have an eye for value. Because it's not about poo, it's about the child. If you make serving in this church all about just the job, you, you won't do it for long. You'll leave this church and do it for and another church and another church and another. You'll leave this marriage for another marriage for another marriage for another. You've got to have an eye for value. Do you value marriage? If you value marriage, you'll hang around. And you'll serve again and again and again and again and again and again. Why? Because you love taking the garbage out? No. No one loves doing that. But we have an eye for value. I value marriage. I value my health. So Mitch, take the bin out. If you value your health, take the bin out. (laughs) I value family. So we don't want, let them watch whatever they want to watch. And so we spend time with them because we value them. I had one of the busiest days of my life today. And then Jordy says, Dad, can you help me with my homework? And my first initial uh, thought was, no, I'm too busy and I can justify being busy. I've done a lot today. And I looked at her and I remembered what I'd said to her the day before. I said, come on, quick, let's get your homework. Let's get it out. And I did this title page. I'm going to make this the best title page I possibly can. It's not always convenient to serve. If you have an eye for that, I value my daughter. Jordan is a princess. She's awesome. She's beautiful. I value my son. I value BJ. She's four going on 27 and she's incredible. She's just amazing. She holds down the most incredible conversation. She's just a just little Miss Chatterbox and just, you know, we've worked the whole world out. And this, 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 this. Knows she's going to vote this and vote that. And I like this. She's just like, she's all over it. I value her. I have an eye for value. And when you have an eye for value, you'll serve and you'll serve and you won't make it about the thing that you're doing. 
you'll make it about the person you're doing it for. Can you imagine what would happen to the divorce rate if we did this? But because we're not doing this, the divorce rate's going up. Some might say, no, the divorce rate's not going up. If that is true, it's because people don't want to get married anymore because they don't believe in the institution of marriage in the first place. They're so put off with it. And so we say, our oh, marriage doesn't work. No, marriage works. Just because we've done the wrong thing with it. Doesn't mean marriage in and of itself doesn't work. Can you imagine, just for a moment, if we actually began to put into practice what Jesus taught? And, and, and we, we, as young couples, got together and instead of just jumping in and out of bed and just running from relationship to relationship, actually stayed with a couple. They stayed as a couple for a period of time and talked and got to know each other, got to know each other's likes and dislikes and got to know what we were in for and set an incredible foundation for that day that we get married, for that day that we enjoy um, physical intimacy, for that day that we prepare for kids, for that day that we prepare for this, for that day we prepare for that. And we start doing that and then look back over your life. You're going to avoid AIDS, sexually transmitted diseases. You're going to avoid the curse of comparison and wonder how you compare against this girl or this guy or this thing or that thing. God's way is awesome. It's for us to embrace it and see the value of it. A great serve releases others. You know, in Acts chapter 6, there's a story where the disciples were getting so busy with the growing church and they said, we can no longer look after the widows in the daily distribution of food. They still need feeding, but we just can't do it. We need someone to serve them. We need someone to love them enough to give out food. Is there anyone who can do that? And they came up with a list of men and, 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 and the church continued to grow because men who put up their hand to serve released other men to do what only they could do. What we've tried to instill in our kids is a spirit of release. I look at our kids and say, I want you to do this and I want you to do that and I want you to do that. They've all got their own little jobs. Yes, I can do it. Yes, mum can. But what you need to know, kids, is there's some things that only mum can do and I want to release her to do what only she can do. And we want to give you some jobs, take some jobs off her, take some jobs off dad that you can do. And so as our kids help, there's a spirit of release. That's what service does. It actually releases others. If you love this church, I want you to love it by serving it. If you are not involved in some way, shape or form, I want you to go to the information desk after this service and say, you know what? I want to serve. I want to get involved. Don't look at a church this size and say, you're a large church. You don't need me. Yes, we do. If every person served, even if we never had any other jobs to do, we could get bigger rosters, which means people who are serving flat out could have some rest and some time off it's amazing some of us we come to church and we look at someone who's serving faithfully and they may have had a bad day and they're just tired and they get a bit grumpy and we who do nothing come oh they're a bit grumpy well maybe they wouldn't be so grumpy if you actually just came alongside and served and helped and released them we need our music team to be twice, three times, four times the size. We need those guys who are serving faithfully on the back desk. We need it to be twice, three times, four times. Those in our cafe, those in our kids' ministry, those on our welcome teams, those on our host teams. Every area of ministry. If you love this church, I want you to serve this church. If you love this community, I want you to serve this community. 
If you love your wife, I want you to serve your wife. If you, if you love your husband, I want you to serve him. If you love your kids, I want you to serve your kids. Kids, if you love your parents, I want you to serve your parents. And you'll be great. You'll have a great life. You'll have a great marriage. You'll have a great family. You'll have a great church. You'll have a great day. Be great. Be flipping awesome. Last point. A great serve understands the big picture. A great service is much, much more than just the obvious. When we drove in today and we saw a number of people in the car park, we call them car park attendants, and they're standing there. Who was on today? Dom and, and Jake and, and, and Daryl. And, and they're standing there and often it's cold and it's wet and it's windy. And they stand there with their little, you know, their little lightsaber. Oh, oh, oh. And, and, and Daryl with a, with a big hood on and she looks like Darth Vader. Warm. I am your father. Just like... Warm. Warm. Just... You know, it's not... We tell our car park attendants this all the time. It's not about cars. When you're parking cars, it's not about cars. You've got to look beyond the obvious. Because cars don't drive themselves. Do you know inside every one of those cars is a person who drives that car. Some drive better than others. It's not about the car. Being a car park attendant is not about the car. It's about the precious people in the car. And your smile and your service and your help can make somebody's day. And someone who serves well understands that. Someone who doesn't serve well and makes it all about the cone, stupid cone, stupid, 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 I hate this job, I'm leaving this church, everyone hates me, I'm going to eat worms, I'm stupid, no one appreciates me, no one's recognised me, you know, the testimonies haven't asked me to do a testimony, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to tell my story, well, I can't wait till I tell my story, when I tell my story, oh, they're going to, they're going to know when I'm around. I'm like, what? That's not a great serve, that's a great whinge. But a great serve understands the big picture. We understand it's all about people. And when you're in love with people, you can do any ministry. You can do any job because it's about people. I have literally served in the church for, for over 20 years. And I've served in all manner of forms. I've, I've, I've served through washing toilets. I've served through washing dishes. I've served in children's ministry. I've served in youth ministry. I've served as a pastor in a local church. I've served in all manner of ways because to me, it's always about people. Well, I'm not called to that. What? You're not called to help people and love people? Really? Really? I don't see Jesus hanging on the cross. Oh, yeah, I'm called to that. I'm just like, this is great. No, no. But it's about people. And when you make it about people, you'll get past yourself. You'll get past your issues. You'll get past your circumstances. You'll get past your situation. You'll get past your ingrown toenail. Or your little bit of back pain. You know what? Your back pain isn't going to get any better sitting at home doing nothing, just thinking about it. Sometimes the best thing for you is just to get up, get among other people, get talking, get busy, and you'll forget about it. A great serve understands the bigger picture. I remember a story, and as I share this story, if our musicians can come, that'd be great. But in World War II, there were all these faithful ladies sewing up parachutes 
for those that were going into war. Now, I don't know about you, but sitting in a factory day after day, just sewing, doesn't seem overly stimulating. But during World War II, a man would walk around the ladies and encourage them and inspire them and motivate them with this thought. That for every stitch you sew, it's going to mean the difference of life and death to our soldiers who are on the front line. What was that man doing? He was taking the mundane and the ordinary and attaching it to something far bigger than just sewing. Ladies, you're not here today just sewing. You're rescuing lives. You're saving lives. You're fighting with our soldiers on the front line. You're defending a nation. Which is far more motivating than knit one, pearl two. But that's knitting, isn't it? It's not sewing. Just got to attach it to the bigger picture. I'm going to ask you the question that Jesus asked us. I was, you want to be great? And don't get all falsely humble on me and say, no, I don't want to be great. No, rubbish. No, I've never dreamed ever of wanting to be great. Rubbish. You want to be great. You want to be first. You want to be the best. And that's good. Because God puts those desires in our heart. God never rebuked the disciples for desiring those things. But he always taught how to become those things and you don't become the best and you don't become great and you don't become first by doing it in the ways that the world are telling us to do it today you want to be great forget everyone else rip off taxes doesn't work that way it comes through laying down your life it comes through serving others it comes through getting involved it comes down to a life of surrender. You will be as great as your service. My question to you is who are you serving? If you're serving yourself, you'll never be great. But if you're serving others, I think we're starting to come into line with God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. Will you stand with me? Danny, can we sing a song? I want us to sing a song as we reflect upon what has been shared here tonight. I shared that a great serve is committed to following. And while I believe it's great to serve another, it's great to serve another man's vision, I believe it all starts with surrendering your life to Christ and following him ultimately. Because he made a divine exchange. He took our sin. What sin? Well, it's an old biblical word. But this is what sin looks like. Grabbing your bags blocking the aisles, pushing past old ladies. Sin. You laugh at me, and rightly so. I deserve to be laughed. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, I'm trying to lead a church doing this. It's ridiculous. 
But all of you know you've done something like that. That's not normal. You won't see Jesus doing that. And Jesus says, you know what? I saw you push past that woman. I saw you swear at that guy. I saw you do drugs. I saw you this. I saw you that. But it all goes back to one thing, sin. And it's sin that separates us from God. We can't have fellowship with God while we're pushing past old ladies, making it all about me. Consuming alcohol, making it all about you. Getting addicted to pornography, making it all about you and your lust. That separates us from God. And Jesus knows all that we're into. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So you don't need to feel shame. But you need to do, you need to do something with that. And so Jesus went on the cross. And he said, I'm going to take that inherent nature that's in you, the sin nature that's in you. I'm going to take it upon myself. What is abnormal to me, I'm going to take upon myself. And I'm going to impute to you what is abnormal to you. And that's my righteousness. There's going to be a divine exchange. And you can have fellowship with God and you can be reconnected back to God through surrendering your life to Christ. You want to go to heaven? If you want to avoid hell, there's one way, only one way, and it's through Christ. And we're going to sing about Him right now. Thanks, Danny. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.